Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So Richard, do you remember this famous movie scene? You're tearing me apart! What? You, you say one thing, he says another, and everybody changes back again! That's James Dean, isn't it? The anguished teenage rebel without a cause. Exactly. That movie came out in 1955. One of the most famous movie lines of all time. But in some ways, I think a lot of voters can relate to that today. You're tearing me apart. We all feel like we're getting kind of torn apart. By the political system. Right. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Breaking the two-party doom loop. With Lee Drutman. America is a large, diverse, pluralistic nation. And to try to shoehorn a country this diverse and sprawling into just two parties, to me, is insanity. It doesn't represent the broad diversity, and it creates an us-against-them, zero-sum mentality to every political election. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How How do do we we fix it? it? How do we fix it? Before we serve up another stimulating, exciting interview, Jim, just a recommendation that people follow us on Twitter at FixItShow. That's at that at sign. How do you, what, I think what do people know that? what the at sign okay. is, Richard. The at sign. <laughs> at FixItShow. And uh, give us some ideas of shows that you'd like to hear. Also follow us on Facebook and we're on Instagram. How do we fix it? One of the most intense examples of political polarization in many decades is going on right now as we record this, which is the third impeachment trial of an American president in our history. But our guest today says that this kind of historic schism in our political system isn't all bad. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. Lee Druckmann is a senior fellow at the New America Think Tank and also the co-host of a podcast called Politics in Question. His new book is Breaking the Two-Party Doom Loop, the Case for Multi-Party Democracy in America. Welcome to our table here at How Do We Fix It? Great. Let's let's start fixing. <laughs> okay. The health of democracy is facing new risks, uh, and many blame this on President Trump and, and especially his rhetoric. But you say Trump is a symptom of something bigger. What is that something bigger? That something bigger is the hyper-partisanship that is really destroying our democracy. And it's a hyperpartisanship that flows from something that is actually quite new in our political history, which is having two truly distinct, non-overlapping political parties, both 
competing for a narrow but elusive majority and both representing very different geographies, very different cultural values and fighting a fight over uh, American national identity. And it doesn't work with our political institutions, which are designed to to require broad compromise. And it, it doesn't work with our human minds, which are, are far too prone to us versus them thinking. And you know, it, it's driving us all crazy. So is that what you mean by a doom loop? Well, what I mean by a doom loop is that once we're in this, it's very hard to get out of it. And as the sides seem further apart and as the stakes get higher, compromise becomes harder. People are more likely to see the other party not as a political opponent, but as a political enemy and increasingly retreat into their own separate realities. I mean, democracy is hard, but it's a lot harder when you don't have a shared sense of fairness and a shared sense of reality and a shared sense of what is truth. A phrase in your book which jumped out at us is that a fully divided two-party system without any overlap is probably unworkable in in any democracy. Is that what we have now? Right, that, that is what we have by, and, and by any measure. And that's very different from the past, right? That's correct. For a long time, the, the criticism of the American two-party system was not that the parties were too far apart, is that they were too overlapping and too incoherent, and voters didn't know what the difference between Democrats and Republicans was, and it created a, a muddle, but turned out that that muddle was actually what made our political system work well enough because it created space for broad compromise. We had something more like a multi-party democracy within that two-party system with liberal Republicans and conservative Democrats alongside Democrats and conservative Republicans, and those overlaps allowed for the system to function. But now we have a truly divided, truly nationalized two-party system, and this is this is something new, and this is, is something, I think, quite dangerous. Can't, can't we just get back to that old system? Have you invented a time machine? <laughs> so how did it happen? I mean, the complete lack of overlap, the Venn diagram between the two parties, they've moved so far apart. Why? Well, there are a lot of reasons. But the short version is that American politics nationalized over many decades, politics went from being local to being national. Politics went from being about economic bargaining to being about broad, abstract, cultural, moral issues. And parties retreated to their geographic cores. The Democratic Party is now totally based in urban, cosmopolitan, multicultural, multiracial, increasingly secular America, oriented much more towards the global knowledge economy. And the Republican Party is based in rural, exurban, traditionalist, white, Christian, increasingly male-dominated parts of the country, and places that are, that are quite left behind by the global knowledge economy. And so the parties just retreated to their cores. And as the parties became more different, the differences became more salient. Is one reason why this happened because of the rise of talk radio and cable TV that media became more and more nationalized? We've seen, for instance, with the Internet, the decline of, of local journalism in many markets as well. Um, I see the media as an accelerator of underlying trends, but I think there are deeper structural forces that the media just has, has amplified rather than and maybe accelerated a little bit. But. Well, speaking of things that accelerate underlying trends, you have the Trump election. And you wrote a New York Times op-ed last year where you said that Trump's election may have been the shock we needed. What did you mean by that? Well, I think there are a lot of folks who, who woke up on November 9th, 2016, 
and realized that they'd gotten a wake-up call, and that wake-up call was Trump being elected. And Americans across the country have started asking a lot of big, hard questions about the structure of our democracy in the wake of Trump's election. And a lot of Americans have gotten engaged in politics for the first time in their lives or the first time in a really long time. So we've gotten the wake-up call, and we've opened ourselves up to thinking that maybe there are some things that need fixing in our political system that go beyond just the Democrats or the Republicans winning the next election. For many decades now, American politics have been completely dominated by Republicans or Democrats. And even going further back, it was a two-party system. So make the case for a multi-party system instead. What might that look like? Well, a multi-party system is a system that requires compromise and bargaining and coalition building, and that's the system that works with the political institutions that we have, which require a lot of compromise and coalition building. It's a system that works with our institutions. It would break the hyperpartisan doom loop, and it would just give Americans more and better representation, and the proportional version would mean that your vote would matter wherever you live. You don't have to live in a swing state in Iowa in order to cast a potentially competitive vote. And you're saying right now, because so many areas are either consistently red or consistently blue, there's really only a handful of states where these races right. are, are fought. So most voters are effectively denied political power under our winner-take-all, single-winner system of, of plurality voting. And, and no wonder turnout is quite low in the U.S., because a lot of people's votes don't matter, and parties understand that, and they don't reach out to voters. I mean, in proportional democracies, voter turnout is consistently higher, and the reason is simple. One, you know, you're more likely to see a party that you like and you're excited about. Two, the parties recognize that your vote counts, and they're trying to recruit you to vote. And three, your vote counts more, so you're going to go to the trouble to vote. Let's take a minute and just define what you mean by proportional democracy and how it works in a few other countries. Yeah. So a basic premise of a proportional democracy is that the share of votes that your party gets should be reflected in the share of seats it has. So if your party gets 30% of the votes, it gets 30% of the seats. So I think that people who live in the U.S. may not fully understand that in some other countries, you have one, the equivalent of one congressional district, yeah. but rather than having one winner in a winner-take-all kind of election, you have maybe two or three winners, and that this encourages multiple parties to take yeah, in pa right. take party, part. Parties are not spoilers in a, in a proportional system, third and fourth, fifth parties. Now, you, they're all different kinds, and some people, when they hear multi-party democracy, they think, oh, you want us to become Israel. And or Italy. Or Italy. <laughs> Israel uses a, a form of hyper PR where there's uh, one nationwide electoral district and, and a pretty low threshold, 3.25%. So in other words, any political party that gets more than 3.25% or around that gets at least one seat in that, parliament. That's right. Automatically. So the way, you, the way you limit the number of parties, I think probably around four to six parties is probably the ideal because more than that, that's too much choice, too much fracture, less than that. You're not creating space for innovation and, and diversity. And, and the way to get that is by having smaller district sizes and or higher thresholds. So the system that I like is 
multi-member districts with ranked choice voting. So combine five congressional districts into one, you'd have five representatives, and then you'd select those candidates by ranked choice voting. How does ranked choice voting work? Because not only would you have multiple member congressional districts, but you'd also have this ranked choice voting system. Yeah. So it's a system that the, that the Irish have used for almost 100 years. They call it PRSTV. Uh, Australia has that's used a, that's it. That's a catchy name. <laughs> well, I call it multi-winner ranked choice voting. So ranked choice voting, the growing number of cities have it. Maine has it. And the way it works is rather than having to just select one candidate, you can rank your candidates in order of preference. And then the tallies are taken for first choice preferences. If a single candidate has a majority, that candidate wins. If not, you go to a second round and it operates like an instant runoff. The bottom candidate is eliminated. Their votes are transferred to their voters' backup or second choice candidates. And then that proceeds until somebody has a majority. So so this means that automatically you wouldn't necessarily have all Democrats and all Republicans, that maybe a Green Party or a Libertarian Party person. That's right. That's would, right. Why are you looking would, at me when you say Libertarian Party? <laughs> looking at you very that, suspiciously. Remember, I'm the squishy Libertarian. <laughs> that's right. You, you, would have, you, would have, you would have space for more political parties to gain entrance into the Congress. Now, one objection to ranked choice voting is just, it just sounds complicated. Well, it's not complicated once you get used to, to using it. I mean, people rank their favorite movies, their favorite books, their favorite flavors of ice cream. You get used to saying, oh, well, I want to consider all the candidates, and then I want to rank the candidates. And candidates compete for voters' second or third choice preferences. So rather than just reaching out narrowly to to your slice of voters, you actually want to reach out to more voters who might not pick you first, but might pick you second or third. So in practice, that builds a more coalitional compromise style of campaigning and ultimately politics. Okay, more coming up. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Jim Meggs. And I'm Richard Davies. We're speaking with Lee Drutman, author of Breaking the Two-Party Doom Loop, The Case for Multi-Party Democracy in America. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. (laughs) 
Richard, I know you have a recommendation for this week. This one comes from German TV. It's a drama called Line of Separation. And also, not only a drama, but a history lesson. It's a fictional story of one small farming town split in two by the border between East and West Germany. It starts during the closing weeks of World War II. It deals in a very direct and visceral and honest way about the pain and division imposed as families are split by this divide in their town as well as their country. And I'm struck by how the best TV dramas often have a lot more character and plot developments than two-hour movies because they go on for much longer. And, and the best of them resemble more closely, I think, novels. And Line of Separation is clearly one of them. Okay, back with... Lee Drutman. So you say that we should increase the size of the House of Representatives. Yeah, I, I do believe that we should increase the size of the House of Representatives. The House of Representatives began with 65 members in 1789, and uh, it increased as America got more populous, then they stopped increasing it in, in 1911. And we have districts that are just incredibly large. And it, it you know, the the smaller the district is, the more connected people will feel to their representatives. I mean, I think having 700 members of Congress would be a, a reasonable proposal. What about the criticism, though, of of multiple parties where you get a situation like we mentioned with Israel or with Italy? Do multi-party democracies necessarily work better than two-party democracies? On average, they do. Uh, I mean, you could certainly point to some failures of, of multi-party democracies. Uh, but given the broad experience of multi-party democracies throughout Western Europe, which I would argue would be the most comparable countries to the U.S., what you see is a, a political system in which people feel good about their political system. They feel well represented. And you see coalition building and compromise and relative stability. Certainly, there, there are moments in which it's hard to form a coalition, but eventually they do form a coalition. And compromise is just built into the system because you have to build a compromise coalition in order to govern. You don't have one side trying to win some narrow majority and then use narrow power to push down the rest of the country. And you don't have half of the country feeling like if they lose a narrow election, then they're totally out of luck. Does that lead to higher turnout? It does. There's much higher turnout in proportional multi-party democracies. You also point out that this system would yield a more diverse body of representatives, both age, gender, race, but also ideologically. Yeah, I, I, I do believe that. And you know, America is a large, diverse, pluralistic nation. And to try to shoehorn a country this diverse and sprawling into just two parties, to me, is insanity. It doesn't represent the, the broad diversity, and it creates a, an us-against-them, zero-sum mentality to every political election. And you feel that, that our whole system of democracy is being threatened by where we are now? I, I do think that it is being threatened. Because uh, for, for a democracy to function, we need to agree on the basic rules of the game. And we need to accept the fact that our side might lose sometimes, and our perspective might lose sometimes. And that the procedures for navigating who wins and loses are fair to both sides. One of the things that we've come to realize in the last few years is something that we thought was always going to be with us and we could take for granted is actually something that requires active maintenance. And that is our system of democracy. 
In your New York Times op-ed, though, you struck a note of optimism and you pointed to some previous historical periods where there was also great division and tension and conflict and old systems breaking down. And we got through them and we yeah. rebuilt in a better way. What are some of those previous eras? We, we have this long history in America of crisis and renewal. And that's what makes me ultimately hopeful that we will we will get to a, another period of renewal. And if you think about the history of American democracy, you can think about these waves, these bursts of democracy reform in which our system has become more democratic, more inclusive, more responsive, and ultimately a, a healthier democracy. You think of the Revolutionary War, you can think of the expansion of the franchise in the 1830s, Jacksonian democracy, particularly the progressive era, I think really resonates a lot with today, and then the civil rights era in the 1960s. Now, if you're keeping score at home, that's about every 60 years or so that we go through one of these bursts of democracy reform. And if we add on another 60 years from the 1960s, that takes us to the decade that we are now entering. And all of these periods have, have certain things in common in that before the reform happens, it feels like politics is stuck and it's not responsive and things are never going to change. And then social movements build up younger generation gets energized, politics takes on this kind of moral energy, and then change happens because the people want it. Great way to end. Lee Drupman, author of Breaking the Two-Party Zoom Loop. Thanks for joining us at How Do We Fix It? Well, it's great to do the, the fixing time with you all. <laughs> great. I really like Lee's notion that somehow we need to bring back this mushy middle in our politics. I mean, it could be Joe Biden's campaign slope. Could well be. For my money, the by far the best and most exciting suggestion in this book is about ranked choice voting. I, I think that it really does have the opportunity to vastly improve the political system, even if we don't go as far as he wants, which is having four or five political parties competing with each other, you, both you and I are, are skeptics of that. Um, I'm not sure that completely breaking up the two-party system will solve the problems that we're now being faced. With. Yeah. And this is where, you know, I'm supposed to be the more conservative one on the show. And Richard, you keep, you keep letting me down by being, <laughs> by <laughs> know, failing to be the, the flag waving leftist yeah. that yeah. we need you to be for the drama of our, well, partially because I, I, personally want to save the Democratic Party, and I don't want the left to split apart in in two very distinctive ways, because I think that if you did have a system that encouraged multi-party democracy, you'd have the AOC progressives, the Bernie progressives. The, right. And uh, she, just, she just said recently yeah, uh, 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 that if, AOC, there, were, if yeah. there were more parties, she would be in a different party from Joe Biden. I believe that's true. Yeah. So there's a very clear line. I think that the Democrats are much more likely to split apart into two parties than the Republicans are. But as the person who's supposedly the more conservative one here in our podcast, part of conservatism is you break it, you bought it mentality. Like before you start taking apart the car motor, make sure you know how to put it back together again. So I am cautious about going too far too quickly on this idea. And, and there are a lot of there are a lot of technical issues with ranked choice voting. For example, it requires a lot of engagement in terms of the electorate because you not only have to know which candidate you want, you have to know five or so candidates. And how do you rank them? 
maybe a lot of people are just going to go like, well, I know my one and two. And after that, it's just I'm just throwing darts here. Well, I don't assume that the American voters are are less intelligent than voters I'm not saying it's in less other countries. But they, but they may not um, be spending the time on it. There has been a, a demonstrated phenomenon where people fill out the first two or three blocks and then they give up. And so their votes wind up sometimes getting tossed out. Well, I think maybe that's more of an argument against referenda than it is against ranked choice voting. Because if you had, for instance, one election where you went in, you went, well, I kind of like this woman more than I like that guy, but I'd rather that that guy was elected than his more conservative opponent, then there's a clear choice there. I don't think that's very difficult. Yeah. I'd like us to go slow. Clearly, there are serious problems with what we're doing right now. So I'm not saying that our system's perfect, doesn't need to be rethought, but I do want to take it one step at a time. I think where you and I do agree, and I'm actually more in favor of ranked choice voting than you are, but I think where we do agree is, is recognizing that independents are a very large chunk of the American voting public and having a system which recognizes them as significant players is something we should strive for. You know, I'm not in favor of identity politics, but there are an awful lot of groups out there that feel they're not being heard. And if there's a way to pull them into our system better, I think there's a lot to be said for that. So I don't want to wind up like Israel, where you get these little tiny splinter parties exercising wildly outsized influence over policy because they form coalitions with the party that gets the plurality of the votes. That worries me, but maybe there's some middle ground. At the very least, Lee Drutman's ideas are provocative. And given the state of our democracy right now, we certainly need to have a debate. And and he's a thinker to watch. I really recommend the book because we need new ideas right now. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And our producer is Miranda Schaefer. We're a production of Davies Content. We make podcasts for companies and nonprofits. Check us out. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.